freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Wire, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. Happy Monday. It is Memorial Day, but we are here. Myself, Mike Lefko, and Maura Dooley. Taking you up until 10 o'clock, and then you'll have uh, the best of Bump and Stacy, and then the best of Wyman and Bob before a 5.30 Mariners pregame with Shannon Dreyer, who will join us at 9.30 on this show. The first pitch of 6.40 before the Mariners and the Yankees. That's going to be a fun series, and that's going to be an interesting one because the Mariners, more I think, maybe answered one question in this Pirates series. Was the A's series a fluke? No, they found some rhythm. They, they found a way to beat a, a decent team in the Pirates and bounce back after an uncharacteristic start from George Kirby. But now the questions just continue. You, know, you look at the Yankees, and sure, they're not like the overwhelmingly dominant Yankees that have gone to recent ALCSs, but they're a team that is ahead of you in the AL wild, wild card race. They're a team that has a, a winning record, and you're going to ultimately have to chase them down. So this will be an interesting one, and we know the names they have, right? Aaron Judge is there. Garrett Cole, luckily, the Mariners are going to miss him, but a decent pitching staff. And and the Rangers, and not to just jump too far ahead, but I mean, this week feels very important because it's Yankees and then at Texas for three against a Rangers team that is red hot. So I'm going to, I think, learn a lot about the Mariners team this week. Yeah, no, I would have to agree. It feels, I, I know for the longest time we keep saying, like, it's early, it's early, don't freak out, but... I do, it does feel like there's a little bit more of a sense of urgency this year because the AL is really tough. Like there was a point where I think the entire AL East was the wild card. Like you're yeah. gonna, and so if the if the Rangers potentially could win this division, you're going to be in a tough spot to get a wild card. So yeah, all of these games are are very important, as you said, and it's just really nice to feel like there might be some consistency happening with the bats. Yeah, we and- could use more from certain people, but. <laughs> There, there might be something happening there. And one big part of that consistency is Julio Rodriguez, who uh, has just been on a tear lately. Seven-game hit streak. He has multi-hit games in six of those last seven. And he uh, had a big home run yesterday. The windup in the one-two pitch. Swing and a high fly ball deep to left field. Connor Joe going back to the warning track against the wall. Leaps up and it's gone. Into the pirate bullpen. Julio Rodriguez. With a towering home run to straightaway left field, his ninth of the season. And yes, indeed, Julio's bat really heating up. He stops on home plate. And the Mariners have a 1-0 lead here in the bottom of the first inning. Now, I will say, even though I came on to start the show and said, maybe the City Connect uniforms are bad luck. You know what looks good in those City Connect uniforms? When someone holds the trident. Julio holding the trident on Friday (laughs) looked fantastic with the way that color balances off the trident, the bright yellow of the jersey, you get the blue background. I know you're not into the uniform talk as much as some (laughs) of us are, but that was a good look. So Julio home runs on Friday and Sunday. And yeah, it just feels like a a big weight has been lifted off of his shoulders. Yeah. By the way, uh, Connor Joe, that almost had that Julio home run yesterday. That was an amazing attempt at catching that. But thank goodness he did not. (laughs) But yeah, it's just uh, 
It just feels like that's what he needed. It feels like at times when he was pressing, the, that's what he was going for, trying to be the Julio that hits those home runs again, and it just wasn't uh, wasn't working for him. His timing looks so much better, and it's just such a relief. It's it's something that this team needs. It's something that seems to make the team have feel like it has more energy. It seems to make people feel more relaxed because as much as it's maybe not fair for a guy that's in his sophomore season – a, a lot rides on him and how he plays. And here is Julio uh, kind of talking about the stretch he went through and what he strangely uh, embraced about it. Yeah, no, it's definitely paying off. I feel like we all can see that. And it's definitely a lot of work. And I just feel like, as I always say, I feel like going through tough times is fun. It's fun to be able to come on top. And it's definitely, it definitely been a lot of work, a lot of work with the people close to me. And I feel excited. I feel excited with things I head into and I think these are trending in the right direction now. I kind of get that in a sense. I guess it's more rewarding to see these results after you have some adversity, after you go mm-hmm. through that and kind of deal with the attrition. At first, we're thinking like, wait, it's fun? It's fun going through tough times. What do you mean? <laughs> but you do almost uh, appreciate a stretch like this a little bit more. And that was always the interesting question about Jared Kelnick and, and the wonder about could he ever – claw out of it because he had never experienced adversity so he had never come out the other end of a tough stretch because he had never even gone through a tough stretch Mm -hmm. so now that Julio has kind of gone through it and you hear him there yeah it makes sense and I think he's he's playing with that joy still and that'll never go away from Julio but there's an appreciation and understanding that all right there's going to be struggles but when you get there and you get on the other side it really feels good to have that reward yeah and Something about he has a really good mental approach, and he's always saying the right thing about how he handles failures. But sometimes guys say those things to you, and you don't really believe it. You just know that that they think that that's what they're supposed to say in those moments. But you think internally, like like we saw with Kelnick, there at times, like he might say, like, "Oh yeah, I don't, I need to not let it get to me." And but you could tell that he's incredibly frustrated. And with with Julio, I believe it. Like I I think that he truly was like, "Yeah, I know that I'll come out of this." It's going to get better and Scott Service said like that he was still consistent in the way that he showed up he was still a good teammate he still prepared the same way and uh, it's I I think it's to his credit that he looks like he is going to be able to pull through this little bit of a slump to start the season and I think that sometimes the mental work that you do is just as important as the work you do to get your timing right and everything on the field because you can really beat yourself up and that can make things a lot worse What do you think uh, this does for some of the other guys in the lineup? Because when Julio is hitting, it takes a a lot of the pressure and a lot of the struggles off of the rest of the lineup. And we have really dug into, well, the Mariners probably could use some more help. Or, you know, the Mariners lineup, there are some deficiencies. But when you get the top of the order producing like this, and you have J.P. Crawford doing what he's doing, when you have Ty France finding water, he is. J.P. Crawford is. We, uh... Maybe you should talk about him a little bit more, but it kind of feels like he's putting together that 2021 all-star first half of the season where it became a huge talking point and a push and a frenzy to try to get J.P. Crawford into the all-star game because that first half of 2021, he was coming on strong Mm -hmm. and a loaded AL all-star class of shortstop. So it was going to be a tough draw, but yeah, to have him at the leadoff spot like that, to be that uh, consistent. I think that's also helped Julio because it takes the pressure off him to get back into that leadoff spot where ultimately the Mariners still might want to move him back up to that. But when you have J.P. Crawford producing like he's been, you can have Julio sit there in the three hole and 
Have a couple games where he, he's not producing. Have a game like then he has on Friday or like Sunday where he's driving in key runs and the guy who's tasked with getting on base, J.P. Crawford, well, he's doing that consistently. So that offense looks good. But what uh, what kind of – what do you think we could see out of maybe some of the guys who have still struggled to find consistency, especially Teoscar Hernandez? Could this and maybe more pressure taken off of him with Julio, J.P., Ty France, Cal Raleigh has been solid, and Kelnick – lead to a stretch of where Jerry DePoto says here, you know, when Teoscar clicks, when he gets hot, he can be a huge impact. So as we as we continue to work through the season, and, you know, especially as we watch a guy like Teo, the thing with Teo is he still hits the ball hard. And I think he said it in his post game last night uh, down in the clubhouse. It's all about swinging at the right pitches. And, you know, when he swings so easy, hits the ball effortlessly so far, we just have to get him in his good place. And, and he has a history of once he gets hot, it's torrid hot, and, and he stays there for a while. And you know, we, We've seen signs. We've seen seven- and ten-game stretches from him. And, you know, when he starts contributing like he contributes, and if it runs in conjunction with, you know, the versions we're seeing right now of Cal and, and the, the, the uptick with Julio and where J.K.'s been throughout, and it's, it's, it's a pretty exciting thing. You see that yeah, coming through? Yeah, <laughs> I mean... Yeah, like he said, as long as because it seems like we've had spurts this year where a couple people get going, but then a couple guys don't. And then a couple as long as things stay the way they are right now, where Ty France looking like he's figured some things out. Julio looking like JP's consistent. Jared's consistent. If Teoscar gets a going on one of those hot streaks, too, this team is scary with the pitching that they have. Like they can they can hang with anyone. And it kind of looks like and not that I'm going to make a direct comparison of the Mariners lineup to the Blue Jays lineup. But if this Mariners lineup is performing at an optimal level of the guys you expect it to, it kind of feels like Teoscar Hernandez can be in that role that he was with the Blue Jays, where he's that additional bat that provides the pop, that provides the run production, but doesn't have to be the guy that it's Mm -hmm. all on. And we didn't really have that at the start of the season. So when everyone else was struggling, here's this big name acquisition who's not doing what's expected. The pressure falls on him. Okay, the scrutiny comes on Teoscar Hernandez because he was your big offseason acquisition. Well, now you have your stars rise to the top. You get this consistent production. Teoscar can just not necessarily float under the radar, but he can be that big bat towards the back end of the lineup that adds the extra oomph instead of being the only guy who has to drive in runs. And that's kind of the burden that was falling on him as well when everyone else was struggling at the start of the year. Yeah, and then you see him start pressing. There's been some ugly strikeouts, but I, I really I, I'm encouraged. We heard Depoto say that John Morosi went on your show, Wyman and Bob, last week, and pretty much said the same thing that he when he gets hot, it's it can be for a long stretch. So I'm hoping we're going to see that soon. And um, Dylan Moore should be coming back soon. I not that I think he's going to be a power bat in the lineup or anything, but it would just be nice to start to get JP Crawford some breaks every now and then, because they mentioned that that was important mm-hmm. for him not to break down this season. And, uh, and I think he come, he's come up clutch for them quite a few times. Yeah. We'll ask Shannon Dreyer about that. She joins us at nine 30 today here on the Brock and Salk show. It's Mike Lefko and Maura Dooley with you a huge weekend drama filled sports weekend. And we'll break down everything you need to know about that next here on Seattle sports station on seven ten and the Seattle sports app. need to know 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk here's what you need to know up first 
The Mariners won the series against the Pirates over the weekend after uh, dropping a Friday game where they gave up seven home runs. Bounced back in a big way on Saturday with a 5-0 shutout win. And then it went to extras on Sunday. Today, Eugenio Suarez sent everyone home happy. The pitch to Gino. Swung on. A rocket to left field. Absolutely mashed. See you later. Walking off Gino. to the sky, his arms wide, and he is pummeled at home plate. The celebration is on. Yeah, that felt like a huge necessary moment uh, to win the series, especially because you lose, you really have a deflating end to the weekend and a start uh, against the Yankees and then Rangers after a series loss to the Pirates. And it also kind of uh, symbolized a return to form of what we've gotten used to seeing from the Mariners over the last few seasons. Yeah, I cannot believe that that was their first walk-off this season just because it felt like they did it time and time again last year. Uh, Turns out when I looked into it, they had only done it twice by this time last year. So I guess they're not too far behind, but they ended up with 13. Um, It is also nice to see Suarez getting that because that was, what, his sixth home run this year. Um, Kelnick, Hernandez, and Julio and Cal are all uh, Mm -hmm. ahead of him. And what he was second in home runs to Julio last year. We're, we're used to him hitting those bombs, so it's it's nice to see. Yeah, he had been in a bit of a drought, but we also saw last year that when he gets hot, he can hit home runs in a hurry. So maybe this yes. will lead to something. It is a series win, though, and today uh, the homestand continues with a series against the Yankees. Bryce Miller against Domingo Herman. Herman was suspended for 10 games due to... Uh, pitch stuff i always sticky stuff yeah I, I try to think of an official name rather than just the sticky stuff violation but uh, foreign substance i guess you would call it he was suspended for 10 games it's his first start back today bryce miller on the mound for the mariners pregame gets started today here on seattle sports at 5 30 first pitch at 6 40 here's the second thing you need to know. And Maura Dooley was going wild over this on Saturday night. Game six of the Celtics and Heat, and it comes down to a just-at-the-buzzer tip-in winner. I don't think he got that in it. You have to protect the offensive rebounder. Oh, he got oh, rid of it. He That's sure a did. Celtic and win. And we're going to game seven. The Celtics are going to win. There's a game seven back in Boston. Literally, at the buzzer. Maybe even after, as everyone thought. Um, the Heat fans were stunned, as were all of us, I guess, including the announcers. That was... That was a miracle. Like, uh, Derek White was the one that inbounded it. Marcus Smart get, Mark, I can't talk. Was, Marcus that, that Smart your gets a shot out. off. Yes, yeah, Smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gets a shot off, and it bounces out, and Derek White happens to, to get there and put it in. I mean, literally, that ball left his hand just in time. It, it was um, unbelievable. And But they honestly shouldn't have been in that position. Boston does like to blow leads. <laughs> they, they had yeah. that game in hand, <laughs> and then they started uh, missing threes left and right. 
Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited. I think tonight's going to be another close one. Yeah, no team in NBA history has won a series after being down 3-0. Only four have ever forced the Game 7. The other three were actually going back on the road. So Boston in the rare situation, they get a home Game 7 after being down 3-0. That uh, tip-off, 5.30 tonight, Game 7 in Boston. Here's the third thing you need to know. Saturday was absolutely wild. You had that game. You had game five in the Western Conference final in the NHL between the Stars and the Golden Knights. That game was uh, won by the Stars to extend the series. You also on Saturday had UW softball advancing to the Women's College World Series. On the eighth pitch of the at-bat, it's popped up to short. Holtorf squeezes it. And the Huskies... For the 15th time in school history, the Washington Huskies are headed to the Women's College World Series. Yeah, pretty impressive. Only eight teams left, and uh, they're one of them. Yeah, it's their uh, first time to the College World Series since 2019. But, man, since Heather Tarr has been coached there, they've they've always been in the mix. They're a pretty dominant team, and it's it was really cool to see. I know that they... They won by a lot, 8 nothing Friday in five innings, but then um, yesterday was a little bit closer, and just seeing the, the way that they kind of whittled away, stealing home for uh, Brooklyn Carter, there, it was it was really fun to watch. Yeah, and the uh, winning pitcher there for UW kind of broke down, crying the moment yeah. meant so much, overcome with emotion there. Very cool to see, and especially for a team that uh, was down bad in the regional to make East State, down 6 nothing, final inning, last chance to extend their season. They come all the way back with seven runs and win, and now they are one of three Pac-12 teams in the Women's College World Series. And actually, we were talking about this. It's a, it's a Pac-12 rematch to start mm-hmm. off on Thursday. Utah and UW on Thursday in the first game of their College World Series. Good so to see uh, the Pac-12 that'll be a big one. Doing something right. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, we don't have to talk about that today. But yeah, the, the Pac-12, they've, they've had uh, they've had a tough couple of years of it, especially yeah, yeah. in football and the basketball world. But uh, doing well in women's softball. So they have the Women's College World Series beginning on Thursday. One more thing you need to know. The Cardinals released DeAndre Hopkins on Friday. He was going to have a more than $30 million cap hit this season. And the Cardinals just wanted to get rid of him. Dead cap hit of $22.6 million they're going to eat this season. Wild. That's a... Uh, it's a lot of money to get a guy off your team, but uh, I think we, we heard yeah. from him. We're going to talk about it a little more, too, uh, where he might end up. But, yeah, he's out. It's a disaster right now in Arizona. It really is. The more we learn about them, the more I think they need to be uh, up there with, like, the commanders and the Browns and, and the Texans and being mentioned as teams that are just so poorly managed, have poor ownership. Um, but, yeah, I think I, and I think they're in a world of hurt with uh, Kyler Murray because DeAndre Hopkins clearly did not want to play with him, and I, and I don't think he's the only one. Hmm. Well, speaking of disasters, I don't know if that's uh, maybe too mean to call this next segment, but kind of putting a spin <laughs> on what you guys usually do uh, around the weekend. I know you come on on Mondays and do that, go all around the world of sports. We're putting more of a disastrous spin on it, and we're going to brainstorm names throughout kind of the like break. A, you know how Sports Center used to do the not top ten? I think they still do. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like that. Kind of like the not top 10. Yeah, like a blunders and bloopers segment. That was just the name I threw <laughs> out there. But if you have a recommendation as well after you hear this segment, uh, we want to hear from you. We're going to hear about all the embarrassing mishaps that happened over the weekend in sports. Promise some laughs and some entertainment. It's Mike Lefko and Maura Dooley here on the Brock and Salk Show. Listen to Seattle Sports Station on 710 and the Seattle Sports app.
You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. We are going until uh, 10 o'clock today. Mike Lefko, Maura Dooley here with you. And then uh, we have some best of programming. Best of Bump and Stacy, the best of Wyman and Bob, and then uh, a live Mariners game. That's actually happening today. A real Mariners game is coming at 640. A real live Mariners game? A real game? live Mariners game. Not a best <laughs> of Mariners game. Uh, maybe they'll put together the best of their weekend and continue it today against the Yankees. But that will be uh, new programming coming your way at 640, despite what some people think about, you know, some sports being rigged or uh, being scripted. Do you remember this whole push over the se- uh, this past NFL season? That oh, yeah. There was a diving into the world of conspiracy theories that the NFL was scripted. And now everyone's kind of played along with the joke. J.J. Watt has gotten in on it. Uh, the Kelsey mm-hmm. brothers on their podcast. Uh, they have a great podcast, by the way. Uh, they have a running joke now about the NFL script and things that happen. So jokingly, people believe the NFL is scripted, but it's not. I, I hate yeah, to break it to people. Wasn't that uh, Arian Foster that started that? Yes. The former Texans running back? He, he went on a podcast. Some, yeah. Some wild things, I'm sure. But <laughs> there is live baseball happening. Uh, a new thing, a new event. The Mariners and the Yankees. So that is coming your way at 640. Shannon Dreyer will have pregame coverage beginning at 530 here on Seattle Sports. And she joins us in an hour at 930. So we'll talk about some Mariners back there as well. We're going to kind of get into some... Seahawks predictions coming up uh, in about 10 minutes or so based on what we saw at OTAs, based on our expectations for training camp and how we think the, the start of the season will shake out. But we wanted to have a little fun here, right? It's a, it's a Monday show. I know you guys always have some fun. You go around uh, the state. You go around the world of sports. You basically catalog everything that happened. The wide, wide world of sports, Lefko. A, a wide world where a lot was happening. <laughs> I mean, a ton happens over the weekend. This weekend, no exception. But you yeah, put no, a nice little spin on it. Normally, I script out like uh-huh. everything that I can that happened over the weekend, like golf, all the Mariners games, all that. And, you know, it's a holiday weekend. We're still working, but I didn't really feel like doing all that work. Not going to lie. Also. So we're just going to have some fun with what, like some funny things that happened over the weekend. Also, because Salk isn't here, you don't have to talk about golf. (laughs) There you go. Fantastic. So you knew you didn't have to script out golf because Salk isn't here. (laughs) And on that note, also, we should say that uh, because it's a segment that exists on this show, Despite your wishes, we cannot just take ranked and get rid of it completely, but we've tailored it back down. We've pared it back down to more of a uh, you and me version of ranked, right? All I ask is that we actually rank things and don't do word association or lists. Okay. Well, we'll do that. We'll actually (laughs) rank things, and I know we'll draw the ire of some people who uh, to love that segment. We might get, hey, this is the best ranked ever. We might get... When Salt coming back, this is terrible. You will have <laughs> well, your normal rank I know Rob, who's yeah. on the board for us today, is a fan of the original. Okay. Uh, of what Salt calls ranked, what I call list. Well, Absolutely. I'm going to disappoint <laughs> you. Rob, you're going to be disappointed today. I'm sorry. We're, we're going to tell you that now. At 945, you're going to be disappointed. That sounds, sounds perfect. <laughs> no, but we'll, we'll no turn to form tomorrow. in ranked today. No, yeah, no 80 songs and 15 honorable mentions and then squeezing the top five into about two minutes. So. None of that. Okay. But you're right. We wanted to have a little bit of fun with this kind of uh, around the sports world. So we have some some hijinks, some bloopers and blunders. And while this segment is going on, if uh, you are loyal listeners 
think of a good name for it because I was just thinking of, all right, mishaps, bloopers and blunders. But if a better name comes to mind, please text in on the Mac and Jack's text line, 866-979-3776. But the first one comes from the Yankees-Pirates game yesterday where the Yankees were just uh, kicking the ball all over the field. This year, so this is the first one he has not played, and maybe he'll be available off the bench. But he's had a lot of success against the Yankees. So he must really be hurting. That one is dunked in the center field. It's a base hit. Kim is going to score. The throw goes over everybody. And Azokar will try to go to third. And that throw goes into left field. And Azokar will have a little league home run. And it's 3-1 Padres. That was, like, it. speaking of people thinking games are rigged, like, it it just, (laughs) it looked like there's no way that you can actually be messing up this much. Like, it, it was insane. To have uh, to have the center fielder overthrow the catcher, and then Garrett Cole not backing up their catcher at home plate, and then he soars one over DJ LeMahieu's head. It was uh, a comedy of errors, and when that happens to the Yankees, I think a lot of us enjoy it. It was highly I, enjoyable. I myself enjoy it, <laughs> but the only thing that kind of sours that is that the Yankees won yeah. uh, 10 to seven. Although I'll tell you what, they had to play a long game. This is great. Where the Padres are at. Yeah. <laughs> this is oh, the Padres 24 and 29. Oof. But here's what's good. And so often the Mariners are on the wrong side of this, the bad travel schedule. The Yankees played that game, a very long game yesterday in New York. They are here today in Seattle. They had no break, no off day. And the Pirates were sitting around for like two days in Seattle. They got here Wednesday. Then they hung out Wednesday night. They hung out Thursday. Maybe that's why they won. Mm-hmm. There we go. We were looking for reasons Friday. why the Pirates did so well on Friday. Well, they had two off days in Seattle, basically. So they were rested. But, yeah, the uh, the Padres and Yankees played a series in New York over the weekend. And, yeah, it was a day game, sure. But by the time you play a 10-7 to 7 game, two-hour and 42-minute game. So you play all that, then you have to fly all the way over here. Time change. All right. Maybe they could be affected today. So for once, for once, some other team gets the uh, non-benefit of a travel schedule. So there you go. That uh, was from the Pirates and or Padres and Yankees game. And I mean, the travel schedule doesn't even matter because Bryce Miller's on the mound today. That's true. That's a good point. Uh, (laughs) It'll just it'll help even more. Maybe. I don't want to make any predictions because after talking all about George Kirby, he came out and did the entirely unexpected. No, not at all. I know it's the uniforms they're wearing that night, but I'll just stray away from the hat that you're wearing today. So maybe you're perpetuating a jinx. Mm. Huh? I was more trying to claim it back. (laughs) Okay. Of like, this is the hat. It's a cool hat. Um, And I'm just saying, I like the hat. I believe in the hat. I just don't believe in the totality of the uniforms. Cancels we'll it see. Out. We will. We'll, we'll see what happens next time they wear them. I don't know. We'll. We'll. Okay. Yeah, we have a small sample what size, we, so hopefully it's not. Didn't we get a text that if they just added piping on the legs of the uniforms, then it would be okay? Well, yeah, you can make some alterations. So they're, <laughs> the first time wearing them, we'll tinker around. They'll get it right. But this was also highly entertaining. Uh, it comes in the Marlins game and uh, what Marlins Angels and. Well, all right, we'll just we'll just let you hear it, and then we'll we'll discuss it. <laughs> now, hopefully, no Miami is challenging. Had a really good Miami's look at challenging it. the out call at home plate. But the Marlins are going to challenge that. They got their heads up their ass. <laughs> and a, obviously, a crucial play in this ball game. So that was the umpire, right? Yes. The umpire who had to go he and like wait and yeah, the challenge, yeah. So he obviously didn't think that the Marlins challenge was a good idea, which is hilarious because it did end up. The call ended up being overturned. 
Uh, so, but what I think my favorite thing about that is how the announcers just keep talking like nothing happens. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even acknowledge it. Like, even not even like a, oh, whoop. Like, sometimes you can, you know, they heard it, but they keep going. No, they didn't even flinch. Sometimes you just have to uh, let it sit there and hope no one really acknowledges it. You do run into this issue, and it's a uh, it's a baseball thing because you have the mics, the field mics down there right where the batters are walking off. And most of the time, they're walking off frustrated. If it's a strikeout, if it's, a, it's an out in a key situation. So you hear, and I know people have heard this on Mariners telecast, you hear the, uh, the expletive shouted out as batters turn mm-hmm. right into the mic and then yell out those words. And sometimes you hope it flies under the radar or you can just acknowledge it and say, uh, oh, all right, well, some frustration being expressed by so-and-so. So there you go. The, the joys of a hot mic or uh, extraneous mics picking up live action on the field. That's what makes sports fun, though. Yeah. You don't know what you're going to hear, well, what it, you're going to see. It turns out what they thought was a one, two, three double play. Uh, yeah. Angels catcher Matt uh, Thais wasn't uh, touching the plate. So the Marlins were correct in challenging that. And it was the 10th inning. So, like, that that's important. And I believe they drove in a run after that. So. Uh, the so maybe the, um, the maybe shouldn't be so critical yeah. of their decision to challenge something. Maybe it was the umpire who had his head in the uh, inappropriate <laughs> place behind him. Uh, yeah. Okay, so you brought this to my attention because yeah, I didn't uh, watch the national anthem of the Indy 500, even though as an Indianapolis native, I mean, the Indy 500 is a, is a way of life. But, you know, not anymore. When you live out here, yeah, you don't really need to watch that. But, you just give up on a way of life because you Yeah, moved? I don't really like... IndyCar racing. It was just more of the event. Like, it's the cultural spectacle of 350,000 fans and chaos and, and all that. And it's on too early so and I, all this stuff. I didn't watch IndyCars, but I grew up watching some NASCAR with my dad and, um, like, every Sunday. And uh, I've never been to an actual race. I'd really like to go at some point. They're interesting. They are a uh, much different sporting event than I think you're, you'd be used to. Much different than a football game. You much don't different think I would than fit a, in? Eh, it depends. Well, <laughs> here's also the the chaos of, of car racing is that these events, you can bring in anything you want. You can bring in coolers. You can bring oh, in. Yeah. I mean, people literally tailgate for it's days. It's like one big tailgate yeah. in the Yeah, but you can, you can bring in any kind of food and drink. Okay. Yes, you know what I'm hinting at about the type of beverages you can bring in. So you get uh, quite a scene, quite a chaotic crowd. But, yeah, so the controversy i guess comes from the national anthem and we will not play all of it here but here's a a little rendition of jewel Jewel singing the national anthem that was met with either very high praise or uh, a lot of scorn okay that's enough uh all right well it's different it's not your standard uh, uh go up there anthem but wait so the you saw a ton of internet reaction yeah. there i'm kind of looking through it, it right it here just but seemed like it just, people loved yeah. it or hated it. i saw some people that were like that was a masterpiece she totally made it her own and then i saw some people that were like she changed it so much it was disrespectful and this was the worst anthem i've ever heard i mean i just think like that's her style she's kind of folksy right so she but it does it does it did make it sound like a lot more sad and tragic just so slow. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say, yeah. What were your thoughts on that, Rob? Uh, you know, notes And wise, do you want me to play all oh, yeah. minute and 13? Rob <laughs> has a music background. Yeah. Not, was a professional not, drummer not really. for a while. Yeah, thank you. Uh, no, not really. I mean, for me, the key has always been, does it sound good, right? Are they on pitch? Is it a nice arrangement? But the last thing I want is 
an already long piece of music to go another two minutes because somebody decides to play it half You know what? You're right. Mm -hmm. She did make it long. I I started it about halfway through, and that cuts like a minute and ten seconds long. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's some painful stuff. Man. <laughs> and I mean, I like Jewel a lot. But yeah, that's that's pretty hard. It's yeah, it's more of an. I understand it's a huge moment, a lot of eyeballs on you, huge crowd. But and I, you know, we try to make this not about us as well because we're talking about sports. It's about the sport. It's about the event. Something like that, right? It's not about you. Don't completely take over the stage and take away from the event at hand when everyone is there to see the event. I don't think anyone has gone to a sporting event and said, well, you know what? I'm not going to go unless this person's singing the national anthem. So I get it's a huge moment. You know, you're on the stage. You're on a national spotlight. But you're right. As everyone has weighed in here, don't really just uh, completely change it to make your own at the expense of what we're all there for, um, which is the sporting event. Do you do you remember this one? Do you remember Fergie? Fergie? Oh, yeah. Okay. Speaking of Pure making it all about you. Yeah, that is wow. the someone, thing she, did, she did like a weird accent on words in that song too. Yeah. And someone made like a children's book that has all of the like the words spelled the way that she did it. That's actually really funny. Mm. I think the last time we played that someone sent the link to us and it was <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. Well, that was uh, certainly polarizing. All right, one more yeah. here in our. I would uh, say no. You know, we can have an opinion. It's okay. Segment. I would say no on the jewel anthem, but you know, we we put her in. Uh, she was in ranked uh, the other day. Like it's the most jewel talk that I that I've had in years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Good I, for I you, jewel, getting back on the. Well, radar. maybe that's why she uh, she certainly has everyone talking about her. So <laughs> jewel back to relevance for the first time in twenty plus years. Uh, one more here in our what, since I guess, the TRL era. Yeah, oh, you got me down. Uh, a time time warp here. Carson mm, Daly. Just thinking about that. Simpler times. Um, speaking of simpler times, Le'Veon Bell was once a productive member of the Steelers and then had quite the fall off. And he talked about that on a podcast called The Steel Here Podcast, which is, of course, about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, it was like a little petty, like a little, a little, uh, a little guarantee stuff. Like in the first time, like I'm thinking like, damn, could I just really just ate it? Yeah, I probably could have. I probably could have really ate it. But it's like... I think at that time I was to the moment I was like so, like stern and like, dang, bro, I I, I played through this injury, I done did this, I done blase blase, because everybody inside really knew like what was going on. Like, I done played through this injury, y'all done had me put a franchise tag, y'all already said y'all was gonna do this, and then the next year when it when it's time, so the, the year I sat out, I already had said no to thirteen three the year before that, and then I played on the tag at twelve one, mm-hmm. right? So now the tag is about to be fourteen five, I think, or fourteen eight. Mm-hmm. Right, and then they sent over a long term contract 13 3 again. I'm thinking, like, bro, y'all really don't want me here. I like that he admits it, it was petty. Well, yeah, it's like the only person you hurt was yourself. And when I heard this sound, I couldn't help but think of our dear late friend John Clayton because this drove him mm. nuts the entire time that Le'Veon Bell was sitting out that season. He was just like, he's an idiot. This doesn't make any yeah. sense. He's totally, I mean, running backs have such a short shelf life anyways. He was at his peak. He ended up taking slightly less, I think, if not about the same to play with the Jets. Obviously, that did not work out well for him. And the professor was just adamant that he was being a complete idiot. <laughs> and I think he would enjoy hearing Le'Veon Bell finally admit that maybe his pride got in the way. 
There you go. That was well thought of, Maura. That was uh, very nice to think of the professor there. You know, every now and then he would get something like that he really was yes. passionate about, like random like that, and that was one of them. Le'Veon Bell's an idiot. <laughs> And nothing would change his opinion, too. Once you were locked in like that, nothing was ever changing your opinion. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of a fun little twist on uh, around the weekend. But do want to kind of get into some Seahawks predictions. We've got a few minutes left before we we get back into some Mariners talk. So, Maura, based on kind of what we were talking about with OTAs and we're getting a sense of this team, you brought up some predictions and some maybe fun things to throw out there for how the season could play out. Um, one that really jumped out to me because yeah, this is a, a good kind of benchmark for quarterback production in Geno Smith and his touchdowns and interceptions last year, the 30 touchdowns, the 11 interceptions. So with the touchdowns, he threw 30 last year. If you are predicting Geno Smith touchdown number over or under 30 for him this year, I'm going over. I think I I actually believe when he says that like he's only going to get better. This was his first real chance since you know he was a rookie to, and I think he would even admit was kind of immature and not ready at that point with the Jets. This is his first real chance where he kind of got to take the reins uh, and not be you know just coming in as a backup and not knowing when his chance was going to end. And I I think he did amazing with it. I think that he should only get better this year now that he kind of can fully feel that that job is his um and like even though he can feel that that job is his and he's not fighting for it in training camp this year he's basically still only really on like a one-year deal so he has a Mm -hmm. lot to prove too he set up his contract kind of like julio where he it's a prove it deal and then you bring in jackson smith and jigba you bring in some running backs zach charbonnet and kenny mcintosh that can catch I yeah, I think he throws more than thirty touchdowns. Yeah, I, yeah, you're right. I, I'm going to go with that as well. I'm going to go over thirty touchdowns for Geno Smith because he has had a full year of the offense. Shane Waldron now comfortable with him. You know, when you have a year that you can put something in, you see how the quarterback implements it. There's a trust that builds up. So the trust between those two, the ability to maybe add more. We don't know how simplified or pared down it was because they never worked together. Geno Smith had barely taken any snaps before he went into that competition. So that was the big question mark and why for all of us it was so unexpected what he did last year but basing last year's production on what we expect he can continue to grow into yeah i'll go over for geno smith as well for the things you just mentioned also yeah i love love this receiving core and and the weapons they're gonna have and i like the geno love on a memorial day yeah um and you'd also expect that you know if the seahawks are going to take that step that we hope and kind of think they need to do it relies on geno maintaining at least what he did last year and then growing. Mm-hmm. So if they're going to be a true contender in the NFC, which they're close to being, if not maybe a finished product, they're very close. I'll go over on Geno Smith. And we gave a long and rambling I answer on that first one. I think but they have the best quarterback situation in the NFC West. Yeah, it's just <laughs> crazy to think about, yeah. um, especially when you look at where they were a year ago and thinking, all right, they might have had the worst. Now, yep. the best Things in, in the division yeah, with the NFL. <laughs> it is true. And that's what's, that's what's fun about the NFL, not to get too off track here, but what's good about the NFL is that if your team's bad, it's not going to be bad forever. It might be bad for a few yeah. years. It might have to go through some mediocre I mean, years. Unless but you're the Browns. It's not going to bottom out forever, <laughs> unless you're the Browns. Even they made the playoffs a couple years ago, so yeah. you can get good. Uh, um, the Lions, maybe, but uh, all right. Despite the Lions, and now the Lions are finally all right. The majority of teams in the NFL don't stay bad for long. Yeah. So, yes, the Seahawks, uh, we think they're going to be better. What about uh, that offense around him, though, and the starting 
O-line. Who do you think will be the start? Now, is this our prediction for like week one? Yeah. Or Okay, so week one. Who's your starting O-line for week one? All right, so I think week one, Charles Cross. Um, I think... I'm going to go with Anthony Bradford beating okay. Damian Lewis. Yeah. Um, we've, hmm. we've talked to Lewis Riddick, and he, like, I saw him on Rich Eisen, too. That's the guy, the one guy out of the draft class that he keeps raving about. He loves him. And I've seen him in practice. He is powerful. When he, when I first saw him uh, doing the sleds, I was like, okay, <laughs> he can move some people. Uh, so, and then I think at center, I'm going to go with Evan Brown to start. But I think Olu will have a mm-hmm. shot possibly to win that job later. Um, I, I think they just might be more comfortable with someone that's done it to start the season. We'll see how far Olu can come in camp. Um, and then, um, yeah, I think Phil Haynes should be pretty well set in the other spot. Yeah. And then we've got Abe Lucas. Mm-hmm. I have Jake Curran floating around in the mix, too. I know, yeah, I know they like him. That's some good depth there with Curran. And now you do have depth with Bradford and Olu or Evan Brown or Damian Lewis. But you're right. It's It's tough to see... Maybe both rookies coming in and Bradford and Olu both winning those spots, unlike Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas last year. Uh, I'll agree with you on the two left tackles. I think Damian Lewis still holds on to that job, left guard. I mean, that's his position that he, you know, his preferred spot, right? He's back there. The question that you had with Olu, I might have with Anthony Bradford, where he might be strong, might be good technique-wise, though. Is it a lot to ask for him to step in yeah. and take over that position right away? So I'll go with familiarity there. If he did, do you think... They would move Damian Lewis back to right guard. Uh, so you know, Dave I Wyman. I feel and, like he was better there. D- yeah, Dave Wyman and uh, and Ray Roberts have talked a lot about wanting that PhD where they don't like moving guys. Yeah. And Lewis struggled when he when he did move over one time and then came back and he was better. Maybe so be too much. Uh, yeah, if you can have a spot. Even though I felt like he was more comfortable. There. Right. I will. I will defer to to Ray Roberts and his <laughs> uh, his PhD philosophy of he wants every lineman to be in one spot. He yeah. doesn't want you moving back and forth between, I mean, a right or left tackle. Like when Cable or was the coach center or a guard. Musical yeah. chairs. Yeah. So you specialize in those spots. So I don't know. I want to keep Damian Lewis where he is. Um, maybe like, like you said with Olu, Olu eventually takes over. Maybe Anthony Bradford eventually takes over. And you're right. I think you've convinced me. I want Olu <laughs> to be the center because long-term, like we heard from Shane Waldron, that probably bodes better for the Seahawks offense but I think Evan Brown's going to be the guy because he has NFL center experience and you don't want to go into week one uh, with a true just, rookie at center. They just get not enough actual like practice time where they're actually hitting yes, and like the preseason, right. everything's so much shorter now. And I think O-line's one of those positions where you need it, Yeah, especially center when you're going to be calling all the calling out stuff. Look at us, all this O-line talk. <laughs> Ray Roberts would be proud of Ray us. Ray Roberts I mean, is a, probably like, everything's wrong, a lot of, but we're trying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ray <laughs> Roberts is also like, no, not enough OL talk. Uh, you should have a three-hour show of the offensive <laughs> line. Uh, we didn't even get to a lot of these predictions, so, I mean, you guys can save them, or uh, next time we do this more, next time you and I host, we can get back to these. But a uh, couple of predictions there about the Seahawks season. Coming up next, we're going to get back to the Mariners, what that series win meant, and uh, what it means for this week, because it's a huge week coming up. That's the thing with baseball. You win a couple. uh, You have no time to rest on your laurels, though, because the Yankees are in town for three. Then the Mariners take on the Rangers for three to end the week. So it's a huge stretch coming up. We'll talk about uh, what they need to do over the course of this upcoming week to stay in contention. It is the Brock and Salk Show. Mike Lefko, Maura Dooley in with you today. You're listening to it on the Seattle Sports app and Seattle Sports Station on 710.